The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Well, again, welcome. My name is Ryan. Last name, Church. Yes, I am a pastor. He, he, he. Ha, ha, ha. A pastor named Church. Believe it, it's true. So glad that you are here tonight as we push towards the end of uh, fall quarter. Just uh, thrilled that that, uh, we are part of of your uh, end of fall quarter plans uh, here at the end of November and into December. Before we get started, one thing I need to remind you of is that right now this community, the community that you are a part of, is competing in a heated race against the, uh, the Inn at Wazoo in something that we call the Apple Cup Challenge. And if we lose, I have to uh, paint my face crimson and gray and then change my profile pic on Facebook for a month. Please, please do not put me through that. It would be humiliating. So uh, one last plea uh, for you uh, to give tonight to the Apple Cup Challenge. You can put money in the giving box over to my right, your left, um, or you can give online. So invite you to uh, consider that. Okay. I have to tell you that when I was a kid, cartoons were not just part of my routine on Saturday mornings, though they were certainly that, but each and every day uh, of the week. And my favorite cartoon was this cartoon. Keep in mind, this is, this is late 70s, early 80s. Okay, this cartoon called Star Blazers. And yeah, it's fired up. Jeff's with me on that. Okay, and the, the main, the main character was this. His name, his name was Wildstar. Okay, how do you, how can you not like a cartoon with the main character named Wildstar? Now, this was, this was the, an American remake of a Japanese cartoon, and it was one of the first cartoon series ever that, that in order to understand it, you had to have seen the episode that preceded it. So it was the first, like, real plot-heavy cartoon. And Now, I'm not sure I was into it for that reason as much as there was sweet weaponry. There was this thing called the wave motion gun that they would use. It was always exciting when they did. It was this old battleship flying through outer space that they might be able to save Mother Earth. Okay, awesome, awesome cartoon. If you want to take a look at it, you could probably look it up on, uh, on YouTube. But uh, great series of cartoons. Now, around this time of year, around Christmas... My family traditionally watched a Charlie Brown Christmas, okay? And yes, it's at this time of year that I have to give, I have to give Linus a shout out for really being the first person to explain to me what Christmas was all about. I, I, I mean, it was, it was one of those things where I remember sitting in a Christmas Eve service one year and, and hearing the scripture read and going, hey, that's the same thing that Linus says. Okay, so, so I love, I love the peanuts. I'm in, I'm indebted to Linus. In fact, I've got these, these peanuts boxers that say happy holidays on the butt. And I may or may not be wearing them right now. <laughs> this week we continue our series on Revelation. But in this season we're doing so uh, with a special look at some of the images that tell us more about Christmas. We're looking this quarter to see if we might get the meaning of Christmas just a little bit better. My hope is that in these last three weeks of the quarter, we started uh, last week, that we 
can understand Christmas more than we do as we sit here right now. Now, last week, one of our interns, Liz Orsted, got us started with a, a great message on, on the woman that we hear about at the beginning of Revelation 12. This woman who is symbolic of many things, not limited to, but including... Uh, the Virgin Mary. And if you missed this last week, and, and many of you did because of the snow or because of vacation plans, uh, again, this is an opportunity for you to download our iPhone or Android app and listen to Liz's talk because I guarantee you it is worth listening to. And what Liz explained to us was, was, was that this incredible, uh, this, this symbol of a woman who we also understand to be Mary shows us that that what happens at Christmas is first and foremost the work of a supernatural God coming into the world in a supernatural way. This is about God first and foremost. So go ahead and take a look at that. And ultimately, what John continues to do is illustrate using these fantastic images, much like a wild star, um, it is is illustrating the unlikely way that God reveals his presence among his people. We have these images on so many things of our life, but of course, we also have them for Christmas. I mean, think about this. What are some of the images that that you have of Christmas? Certainly, uh, you probably think of a Christmas tree. You might think of the colors red and green. And and perhaps uh, the most prominent image of all in our culture would be that of Santa Claus. Now, a lot of you, when you you think of Santa uh, and you think of this image of Santa, you can thank our good friends at the Coca-Cola company for that image of Santa. This was one of the, the, the first image and really the one that defines how we think of Santa right now. Okay, you see, in 1931, this was the, the, really the first time that there was this big image of Santa with a long white beard and a red suit. Previous to that, Santa was this figure that was a lot more rough around the edges. He had a, a brown suit that, that was often portrayed as kind of ripped and tattered. For those of you that are familiar with church tradition, you could compare Santa to more of this type of John the Baptist figure. Santa was this, this kind of rigid but generous kind of social justice radical that was out there to, to help the poor. But then Coca-Cola said, man, we need to have a better image, a more joyful image of what Christmas is. So they, they gave Santa a makeover. And it shapes how we think about Christmas even now. So we have this, this image of Santa that helps us understand Christmas. And I'm not even saying it's a bad image. But if we were to leave our image of Christmas at what Coca-Cola says it should be, no, there would be very few people in this room that would argue the fact that that image would be incomplete. And it is incomplete. Even in the church, even those images that come from our own tradition... There are a lot of incomplete images. Now, you, a lot of you may know what I'm talking about. We sing this beloved hymn that has the line, But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Yes, B.S. Okay? Maybe for a moment. But I'm, I now have a two-year-old, and I remember what it was like when we had a little baby. And yes, there were those precious moments where little baby Carson, no crying he made. But there were plenty of other moments 
where there was plenty of crying he made as, as mom nervously tried to nurse him back to sleep. And I pictured Joseph, if he was anything like me, going, oh, gosh, hey, is there anything I can do here? Is there anything I can do to help? Or should I just go back to bed? <laughs> Our image of Jesus, even from the church, might be incomplete if we, if we isolate something like little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. If we just take one company's vision of Santa Claus, that is very compelling. And so tonight in our hopes to gain this bigger vision of what is Christmas all about, I want to look at an image that many of us might skip over when we think about Christmas. But again, the hope is to help us see what the bigger meaning of Christmas is all about. Why do we want to do this? In part because when I was an 18-year-old freshman in November of 1994 here at the University of Washington, that is when I started thinking about, does Christmas matter? Does Christmas matter beyond the things that I love about it? The gatherings of people, the parties, the food, the presents... My hope about what we're going to talk about tonight and what we're going to continue on in the, in the final end of the quarter is this, that we simply might gain a more complete understanding of why Christmas matters. Not only in the holiday season, but in all of our lives. So before we look at this image tonight, it's probably a good idea for us to pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Our hope, Lord, is to know you during this season more than we do right now. So, Lord, as we come to your word, as we gather together, help us out in that task tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so John begins Revelation chapter 12 with this vision of a woman. And a woman who is pregnant and about to give birth. But then John very abruptly shifts gears. He illustrates a very different image that is in a striking, striking contrast to that pregnant woman. So one thing I want you to know, note as we read this text is, is how often John notes what happens to this image, this very clear image of the dragon. All right, this dragon that, yes, I'm asserting to you tonight is an image of Christmas. Now, before you vehemently disagree with me, hang on for just a few more minutes. Okay, here we go. It says this, beginning in verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. You'll hear more about that child next week. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Continues about the dragon. And then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his his angels fought against this dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, 
the dragon, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now I have come, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumph over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the child. Now, my guess is that there are not many people in this room who would, who would call the dragon as one of our beloved symbols of Christmas. And I would absolutely say that's, that's understandable. You probably didn't see a lot of Black Friday sales with an image of a dragon on it. My guess is you're not going to get a lot of gift cards this season that have a big red dragon with seven heads on it. I get it. My family and I, this weekend on our way back from the peninsula from Thanksgiving, we cut down a Christmas tree and we came back. I released my inner Clark Griswold and we decked the halls of our house right here on 16th. And what I can guarantee you is that there is not a single image of a dragon in our house. Okay, so why would I say that this dragon is an image of Christmas? Or, or what image of a dragon do you have? Certainly, as you, as you hear the story, there's this spectacular image of this dragon with seven heads. But I have to confess that when I think of a dragon, it doesn't have seven heads. But when I think of a dragon, it is rooted in something that maybe uh, you guys are familiar with as well, this image of a dragon. And in order to get a good idea of, what, of the dragon in my head, I want to let you all into it by taking a look at our friend Strong Bad's inbox. Okay? This is one of my favorite strong bad emails of all time, a strong bad email called Dragon. Take a look. I've never seen it before. Now, here, here's the really stupid thing about that is that if in a year or two, if you ask my two-year-old son to draw a dragon, that is what he'll draw for you. Because my son's obsessed with drawing, and he, when he's like, draw stuff, I'm like, okay, S, more different S. Close it up at the top. <laughs> so when you, if you ever ask Carson to draw you a dragon, it's going to look really similar to that with a beefy arm on the back of his neck. So what do we do with this Christmas trogdor? You see, this dragon is a symbol. And to the people who would have, have heard this letter originally, to this word that's translated dragon, they probably wouldn't be thinking about Trogdor the Burninator, but rather they would be thinking about the evil kingdoms that were constantly burninating Israel or burninating the Christians. In the Old Testament, we read of things like Leviathan and Behemoth. 
And so John is using this rich imagery here, such as the dragon. And then later in chapter 13, there's going to be this beast coming out of the ocean. And then this other beast that comes out of the earth in what one scholar calls this image that is that makes up the satanic holy trinity. So we have this rich imagery. That Then again, in verse 9, John refers to this ancient serpent. And in order to understand what he's talking about there, we have to go all the way back from the last book of the Bible to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, to find a woman who gets tricked by the serpent. She is told that there will be enmity or war between her and the serpent, and that one day, one from her seed, a male... A child will come and bruise that serpent on the head. So what we're talking about here in this dragon that appears before this woman who is pregnant and about to give birth is a symbol of evil. It is a symbol of anything that opposes the will of God. The symbol of anything that would love to destroy all the things of God. Now, throughout this fall, we have been reminded that things are not always as they seem. It's one of the gifts that Revelation gives to us. But here's what I want us to catch when we think about this dragon as a symbol of Christmas and why I think it helps us understand why Christmas matters. You see, it is in this image of a dragon that we read in the text, this dragon is thrown down six times. John just loves to to point out that this dragon is having a smackdown thrown on him. He is quite graphically showing us what Christmas does. Christmas throws down on evil. And this seven-headed dragon getting thrown out of heaven but down to earth shows us that. It shows us that in Christmas, evil has met its match. Now, here's the problem. Evil knows this. Evil knows that it is overpowered. It knows the gospel. And honestly, evil believes the gospel quite Possibly more than any of us in this room believe. You see, evil in all of its manifestations because of this child, because of this woman, is threatened. And when evil is threatened, evil is unleashed. When evil is threatened, evil is unleashed. Which leads us to this, back to this part of the Christmas story. This part at the end of the Christmas story that we often love to gloss over. Many of you are familiar with this incredibly pastoral image of these three wise men that are following a star that they might come and worship the newborn king. And in the midst, they have this interaction with this this ruler named King Herod. And King Herod said, okay, you guys are going to find this new king. Well, when, go, go find him and, and come back and tell me because I'd love to worship, worship him too. Herod lies to him. Well, these wise men are tipped off to that fact and they don't return to Herod. But head home back uh, to the east another way. So it's here that we pick up the story at the end of what we might call the Christmas story. But one of these stories that as I read it, some of you might be going, whoa, 
That's in the Bible? That's part of the Christmas story? This is from Matthew chapter 2, beginning at the 13th verse. It said, When they, the three wise men, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that they had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. This is a story called The Slaughter of the Innocents. You see the parallel here? This dragon that John sees in heaven standing in front of a woman, it says the dragon is seeking to devour the child. In this story here, we see evil lashing out once again, Herod seeking to kill the child. Remember, everything that we've read in Revelation, in everything that we've read, there's nothing new. Everything that that Revelation talks about, we have already read in the previous 65 books of the Bible. So what we're reading here in chapter 12 of Revelation and what John is seeing has already happened. It happened with Herod slaughtering the innocents as he tried to get to Jesus. You see, evil responds with more evil. It was evil that sought to get back at God by seeking to destroy that which is most precious to God. Evil tried to get back at God by seeking to destroy that which is most precious to him. This woman, this child. And friends, I think that this extends to us even now. One of the ways that I believe that I experience evil in my own life is this this inner dialogue that plays as if on repeat that says, you suck. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Nobody's going to listen to you. You don't know what you're doing. You stink. You're going to mess it up. It is this voice that is constantly on refrain. And my first instinct when this voice continues and continues and becomes overwhelming is to just stop. Do any of you experience this? Where this this voice of negativity or evil is just, it seems like the most real thing to you in any given moment. That's often the experience I have. And what evil would love to do is stop me dead in my tracks. To get me to hear that voice, to get us to hear that voice and then start believing it. You see, what I think can happen at Christmas is for those voices to become more silent. To get a little bit quieter. Christmas reminds us that that voice does not have the last word. That that voice does not have authority. The dragon, the one who speaks that voice, has been thrown down. Six times 
Six times in Revelation 12, John notes, that voice has been thrown down. But evil leashes out with evil. You see, we are aware that Christmas can bring out the best in people. We've experienced that in the gifts that people give us and the generosity that is talked about at this time of year. But it also stirs up this evil. And the dragon, like the serpent before him, is a deceiver. Friends, there is an enemy that stirs up trouble. And because this is a season of of the year where that evil is threatened all the more, it is sometimes this season that that evil gets stirred up all the more. You see, evil is like a child that throws a temper tantrum when it doesn't get the gift, when it doesn't get the gift it wants. This is the devil throwing a temper tra- tantrum on earth and throws a temper tantrum that we might be hurt in efforts to somehow get back at God. But what this tells us is that that devil has been defeated. So the image of this Christmas Trogdor the Burninator is that it has been thrown down. It is just as absurd as the video that we watched. So what do we do with this? Why does this matter? How does this help us understand why Christmas matters? And what do we do if we know that there is this woman and there is this dragon that has been thrown down? That is the truth. A few things before we wrap up. First, that we would know the truth. The devil would love for you to think that there really isn't all that, there really isn't anything all that special about Christmas. That there really isn't more to Christmas than presents and parties. You see, evil may threaten the promises of God, but evil does not win. Evil may threaten the promises of God, may try to undercut them a little bit, make you believe they're less than they are, but that evil does not win, period. Two, live that truth. I have hopes for you as you come into finals week and as you head home uh, for Christmas and, and, and for New Year's. My hope for you this December is that you might have a more stress-free finals week. That it doesn't have to be uh, the, the heavy chaos that, that we know it can be because no matter what you get on your test, God's promises for you cannot be defeated. The voices that you may hear in your head are going to be defeated. My hope is that you can work hard during finals week, that that can be be an edifying experience for you as we finish the quarter, but that no matter what, that you might be able to go about those studies with joy because you know that whatever you're going to get on on these tests does not define you in, in That evil, whatever forces might be working against you, cannot prevail against the promises of God. Last week, we got to hear uh, a great story from Jillian Ziske about her sharing a rough season um, of her faith that that she has been through and is, is in fact continuing to walk through. Liz talked about this figurative box where she's tempted to take these aspects of her life and put them in this box as totally unredeemable. 
Christmas is a time to rest in the fact that those things do not have the last word. That things can change. That there is nothing that can stop all of this from being redeemed. We can live this truth by believing that evil cannot defeat the promises of God. Will you believe that this December? Evil cannot defeat the promises of God. Finally, fight for this truth. Fight for this truth. We get to participate in God's rescue mission to the world. Go to this thing that Dan was talking about to see how you might participate in stopping slavery that is happening in our city. Sign up and go on Seattle Mission. Grab a deputation, grab a, an application for world deputation. Fight for this truth. There are scores of opportunities around here where we get to actually participate in throwing this devil down. We get to participate in the fact that God has won this battle. That evil cannot prevail against the promises of God. And he's invited us to participate in this truth. There's a friend of mine that uh, he shares a story about how he took the SATs stoned. Totally bombed it. Goes into the guidance counselor, says he wants to go to college. The guidance counselor laughs at him. Says, not a chance. You have not a chance. Thinking he messed up, a few months go by, goes by, he goes, talks to this counselor again and says, I, I really want to go to college. Guidance counselor says, not a chance. Says, let's pretend for a moment that I could. Said, well, lays out a bunch of things that, you know, all amount to, well, you're going to have to work hard. So he does. So he ends up getting into the University of Washington, has a great passion for writing, great, uh, great passion for English literature and creative writing. So uh, once he gets in, an accomplishment of itself, he takes his first writing class, first paper he writes, he gets an F. It gets flagged. He's going, am I really called to this? Am I really passionate about this? Totally second-guessing the desire to come to college, second-guessing his gifts, continues to chip away. Everything that, was, that he could see in his life was saying, this isn't you. This isn't you. You're going to fail. Give up. Give up now. Go home. This isn't you. Long story short, he graduated. Graduated with a degree, graduated with honors, and now holds a PhD in English literature from Stanford. He got an F on his first paper. Evil cannot stop the promises of God. And God has a promise on your life. And there's going to be a lot that, said, that says that promise isn't there. Christmas reminds us that the dragon has been thrown down. And whatever it is that might be going on in our lives, that evil does not win. The promise still stands true. These promises that God has on your life and for each of us are intact. And that is what this table, as a gift, reminds us of. That there is no evil that can snuff out the love of God. Let me pray for us.